You're listening to the official 88J podcast, bringing you an inside look at the latest happenings in the world of dental hygiene and how we are working to advance the profession. Tune in to hear from guests doing innovative work to improve the oral and overall health of our communities. Now, here's your host, Matt Crespin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of your official ADHA podcast. I'm your host, Matt Crispine. Great to be with you this week for another great episode of the podcast. Thank you again for listening. Very excited to share an update with you all about the work that continues on the Dental and Dental Hygiene Licensure Compact. I just today, in fact, met as a part of our document writing team to finalize our edits to that document. It will then be going to the technical advisory group. That group meets the very beginning of January. And hopefully soon after that, there will be a document ready for you to begin passing each in each state across the country. It is very, very exciting. It really aligns nicely with our guest today, Melissa Calhoun, who is a dental hygienist currently who resides in California, but has lived in a variety of different states and is going to share some of the challenges and stories that she's encountered along the way as a dental hygienist in having to be licensed in many states. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to give you a couple of other great updates. Really getting excited about the ADHA's annual conference in 2023. In 2023, as you know, marks the centennial celebration of the American Dental Hygienists Association. We will be gathering in Chicago Friday, July 7th through Sunday, July 9th for the ADHA 23 Annual Conference. Mark your calendars because on February 15th is when registration and housing opens. Oftentimes I hear people say, I missed out on registering for some event. It was sold out by the time I got it. Well, here's your first reminder. February 15th, registration opens. Register for anything you think you may want to go to. You can always change it, but you might want to add something later and it might be sold out. So don't miss your opportunity to participate in what's going to be a amazing, amazing experience in our hometown of Chicago, the headquarters and home of ADHA. It's going to be so exciting to be there in the summer, right after the 4th of July. Plan your trips now. Spending 4th of July in Chicago would be an awesome experience too. So think about doing that with your family on the front end and then just staying for annual conference. It's going to be a great meeting. I know the full agenda will be released soon. I'm really excited to share that I had one of my abstracts submitted to speak at ADHA's annual conference. I submitted three, uh, some new courses that I've been thinking about wanting to put together and really excited that I'll be speaking at ADHA on how to take your mobile school-based dental program from good to great, sharing some of my experiences that I've learned along the way, along with some of the evidence base that's available around improving your school-based program and how to use data and how to use technology to advance your work. So really, really exciting uh, opportunity for me. I'm excited to be able to speak at the ADHA conference again. It's been several years. So a little bit of a plug, if you are a mobile dental hygienist and working in schools or thinking about working in schools, think about registering for my course. But nonetheless, register for ADHA Annual Conference. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be in Chicago, the home of ADHA, and it's going to be a great opportunity. The other thing that you have an opportunity to look at as well is 
recognition. So submitting a colleague of yours name for one of the many awards that ADHA offers. There are awards that go to clinicians. There are awards for students. You can also submit a nomination for the ADHA Standout 7 Award, which is an opportunity to highlight individuals that work in different areas of dental hygiene. So whether you're an administrator, whether you work in corporate, whether you're an entrepreneur, researcher, clinician, educator in public health. So if you want to learn more about the ADHA Awards program, including submitting nominations for the ADHA Awards for Excellence, you can visit the ADHA2023.org website, click on the Awards tab, and you will see how you can submit all of those different award nominations for your colleagues. That's also where you will go to register and where you will find all of the great information that's available about the ADHA Annual Conference, including a great video to help promo and get you excited about coming to Chicago. Let's talk a little bit more about Interstate Licensure Compact. We have done several different episodes on this topic. The last couple of months, I've been updating you on some of the work that ADHA has been doing, so hopefully you're up to speed. But what I thought would be helpful is to bring you a guest that has experienced the challenges of license portability. So with that, let's get to our interview. Very excited to get to our interview today. I'm really pleased and privileged to be joined by Melissa Calhoun, who is joining us from California. So Melissa, welcome to the ADHA podcast. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So, Melissa, you are a dental hygienist uh, currently in California, and we're going to talk a little bit about your journey, so we won't steal the thunder, but I know you've moved around quite a bit, and we have asked you to be a guest on the podcast today because we're talking a little bit more and moving around, moving along with the Interstate Dental and Dental Hygienist Licensure Compact, which we'll talk about maybe a little bit later, and we'll talk about in the wrap-up of the podcast, but Let's get started and first talk a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about your journey, um, your education, where you are, where you've been, the different types of work settings you've been in. Tell us everything there is to know. Okay. Well, I started in the dental field in uh, 2000 as a dental hi- a dental assistant in Louisiana. My pediatric dentist was kind enough to offer me an opportunity to do some on-job training. So I started there and then I... I knew almost immediately, I knew I always wanted to work in the healthcare field, but I knew almost immediately I wanted to to continue to work in the dental field. So I applied to dental hygiene school and I got accepted to a junior college in Pensacola, Florida, which was very close to where I grew up in Louisiana. Graduated from there in 2005. While I was in Pensacola, I met my Navy husband, which is why I move around so frequently. Although not as frequently as some of my military friends, I must say, but we moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and we were stationed there for about four or five years. And um, while I was stationed there, we, or while he was stationed there, I finished my bachelor's degree through St. Petersburg College. We moved to Tennessee in 2009. We moved to Maryland in 2011, back to Florida in 2014. Um, back to Maryland in 2017, and then to California in 2021. And in 2021, I also graduated with my master's degree in dental hygiene from the Forsyth School of Dental Hygiene in in Boston. 
Um, so thank you. That was that's a big accomplishment. I'm waiting on publication as we speak. So fingers crossed on that one for my thesis. Um, throughout all of those moves, you know, I started my career in pediatrics. Um, I went into dental hygiene as a pediatric dental hygienist um, in Jacksonville. When I went back to Jacksonville, I worked for that same pediatric dentist. But other than pediatrics, I've worked in general dentistry. Um, in Tennessee, I worked for an implant specialist. I've tempted in uh, general and in perio. So I feel like I have a lot of, um, you know, well-roundedness in dentistry, uh, and I currently work in a general dentist office twice a week in Point Loma, California, so. And you were also an educator at one point, too, correct? Oh, yeah. Don't forget about that. I should put that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I was an educator at Fortis in Maryland, in, in Landover, Maryland, and although I teach, I mean, I'm, I'm not teaching currently now in an institution. I'm an educator for Arm & Hammer uh, Oral mm-hmm. Care. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I teach with Katrina Sanders for her board prep, which is pretty spectacular. My teaching experience at Ford has helped me, you know, with that position. Mm-hmm. And I am also a SDA trainer with um, EMS and I train on guided biofilm therapy. So those are, I'm doing education just in a non-traditional role, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's exciting. That's important stuff that you're doing. Along the way, you mentioned, I don't know, four or five different states at least, I think. Were you licensed in all of those states, I assume? Yes, sir. Every single one of them. (laughs) And it was real easy to get that license, I'm sure, as you moved from state to state. Some were easier than others. Yes, (laughs) Um, I should mention. Um, You know, when when I was in hygiene school in Florida, one of the things, you know, this was a long time ago. I graduated in 2005. But one of the things that they always said at that point, and I think it's changed since then, but if you let your license lapse in Florida for 10 years, they would require you to retake the national board to become licensed. I think that that has changed since since that statement, you know, since 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at one point, Florida was one of the harder states to get a license in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have kept that license the entire time. Florida is a fantastic state for military spouses. They allow military active. So um, I'm an active status, but I don't require any, they don't require me any CEs or any fees until I step foot back into the state. And then I Mm -hmm. must, I must pick up. But the other three states, um, Tennessee, I'm in retirement because, you know, but I can be reinstated if I stepped back into that state. Um, Maryland is still active since I, you know, I left there a year ago and my husband's position, a lot of the jobs are in Maryland. So I figured Mm -hmm. I kept that active. Um, and Mm -hmm. then, and then I'm active in California. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And so with all of those licenses, there are fees involved with all of those. There are different continuing education requirements that you have to maintain. So lots of things going on there. Um, would you say that in any one particular state, and you don't have to divulge the state if you don't want, but I'm just curious, sort of, what were some of the more challenging hurdles that you had to jump through to get those licenses? Was it, you know, getting your school records or licensure uh, exam uh, results or information to that one state had to share from another? Was there any specific hurdles that you had to kind of address as you went through that process in any one state? Yes. Um, you know, I should say that 
getting your national board results and getting your state verifications, um, you know, that you have licensure, active licensures in other states is actually pretty easy because most of the time they're all on the web. You're able to just, Mm. you know, pay those fees and, and they, but every time you move, that's easily a hundred to $150 worth of fees before Mm. you pay your two to $300 for initial licensure. Right. Mm-hmm. But single-handedly, the most challenging was that I, after 17 years of clinical practice, I had to resit for a clinical board exam. Mm. So tell me about that. Okay. Well, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so every state is different, right? So to give you a little bit of, of uh, you know, background, moving from Florida to Tennessee, Tennessee required you to work three of the last five years. There was no time requirement. But it was three of the last five years you had to have verification from an office letter stating that you worked there, right? Maryland required you to work 150 hours per year um, for three of the last five years for you to sit. Of course, you still have to do jurisprudence and, and you still, if they require a background check, you have to do things like that, right? But when I moved sure. to the state of California, and I'm not saying something that people don't already know, um, state of California required you, because you can look this up on their, their dental board, their dental hygiene board, 750 hours per year for five years consecutive to the date that you apply. Mm-hmm. So for me, I applied July 26th of 2022. I had to go back to... I mean, that, did I say July? January, excuse me. Yeah. January 26th of 2022, I had to go back to January 26th, 2017. If you go back to what I said earlier, I moved mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2017. And at that point, I had mm-hmm. a four-year-old. She was in school part-time, not full-time. Long story short, I didn't work. I yeah. didn't have to to financially support my family at that moment. And so I didn't work. But when I went to apply for licensure here in the state of California, I was 120 hours short. (laughs) And so I had to sit for a new clinical board exam. Fortunately and fun, I got to sit with my senior students (laughs) 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 to take the board exam. So that was fun. So you took it Um, in Maryland before you moved. I did. Because of COVID, California was still accepting the CDCA exam, but since uh, then CDC and Reb have, or yeah, CDC and Reb have, CDCA, excuse me, and Reb have connected. So, um, but yeah. I don't think that goes into effect until August of 2023. Okay. But um, yeah, so that was the most challenging is, is was sitting for, um, besides financial it was sitting yeah, I was going to say, exam. you know, you talked, we already talked about fees and fees and fees. And then now you're talking about finding a patient and then paying a fee to take the board exam again, correct? Well, fortunately, it was still inside that COVID timeframe. So I did take the CDCA on a mannequin. Oh, okay. And Matt, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, We've talked about stuff like this. I, um, you know, prior going into education, I was like... Uh, no, 
we can't. I mean, in fact, I think at the beginning of COVID, I may have messaged you and said, wait, 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 what? How come everybody gets to take a mannequin? (laughs) I did. I I do renege what I sent you um, then. And I will (laughs) I will say that that was not an easy exam. Yeah, I believe that it definitely tested my skills. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, that was, as you mentioned, that was during my t- time as president of ADHA. I, I served the first, uh, I always say I had the privilege of serving the first five months of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, nothing that you would have ever expected. But yeah, I mean, I, I in fact, when I reached back out to you to talk about this podcast, I saw, you know, Facebook keeps all your messages. Oh, and yeah, I it saw does. those <laughs> messages in there. I will say you were very respectful about it. I received a lot of really not so respectful responses about the position that ADHA took at that time. But but I think you're right. I think, you know, um, we've come a long way. And I think COVID has helped expedite that to say, maybe we don't need a live patient to determine whether a student or a graduate or somebody moving to another state is competent and able to provide safe and quality care. So that's interesting that you kind of got to sort of live that experience in real life. Right. Yeah. And obviously being a 2005 graduate in Florida, I had to, I had the live patient. Um, So I am one of the very few people I'm sure that have taken a live patient and a mannequin exam and, and live to tell about it. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I really do believe that, You know, if students are graduating from an accredited dental hygiene program, which we all should be, I do think that the mannequin is a um, standardized way to um, test our skills. And it takes out all the uncertainty, the big tongue, the heavy saliva, the heavy bleeder, the needing the local anesthesia, the blood pressure. It takes all of that out of that. But like I said, Matt, this is a whole nother podcast. It takes out showing up. Oh, that too. I, I mean, I'm glad that you were able to share and, and share that experience with everybody. It's, I think it is interesting. And I think it kind of gets at some of the challenges that you faced in moving from state to state that hopefully the implementation of the interstate licensure compact will address some of that because the compact isn't specific to say you must have passed X exam or it must have been on a live patient. It simply talks about an assessment that assesses clinical competency, I believe is the wording that is, that's that been landed on. But it, it's meant to be broad because in many cases, there are places that are moving away from live patient exams into something that's either a mannequin-based exam or an OSCE-based exam, or in some states like in California where they do, for dentistry, they do licensure by portfolio. So there's lots of different ways in which a dentist or dental hygienist could be be deemed competent and able to be licensed. So thanks for sharing some of those interesting challenges and obstacles that you've had to navigate. In addition to some of the things you've experienced as a hygienist in, you know, moving around the country, working in different states, obtaining licenses in different states, um, you also currently serve as an officer for the AADH. And I'll let you tell our listeners a little bit more about your role and what is AADH? So AADH stands for the American Academy of Dental Hygiene. It's it's another national um, you know organization for dental hygienists, and it was started back in 1985. So it's not it's not new. You know, I mean, it's not as old as the ADHA. But um, you know, the vision for the AADH is is that professional growth, leadership, mentorship, fellowship. 
one of the things that you, you know, if you become a member, you are able to apply for fellowship. If you've been a member for a certain amount of time and you are, you specialize in something, um, you know, perio, things like that, like you can, if you've written articles and things like that, you can have a fellowship in that through our organization. They really, that you're, you know, as a member, you can also um, provide, you know, they have the opportunity to provide CEs. And I think there's 40, like, so you can apply with your speakers packet and be issued CE course, uh, you know, credits. And those are um, 45 states except you know, accept the AADH um, CE courses. There's five that are not. Similar to the ADHA, it really mm-hmm. is just for, you know, networking, boosting our our um, profession. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for bringing that profession to the next level. As the president-elect, you know, I am part of the governing council. I, you know, help our president, uh, Julie Martin. I focus on putting together the annual meeting. I'll put that together and make sure that we, you know, we have a successful meeting. So, but it's all mentorship for more, for hygienists. So, yeah. Yeah. I know that the AADH is who credentials a lot of our, our state CE in our state at our annual conference. And I know that, that the education and really high quality education is something that they really kind of have built a foundation around, which I think is great for our profession. Absolutely. It's one of those organizations that you, you have to, you have to show them your, basically your CV of all the CE courses in order to, to become a member. So, I mean, that's, I, you know, just giving that little bit more accountability, you Mm -hmm. know, for, Mm -hmm. for our profession. I can say this, you know, for, for all hygienists, right. You know, we all start green, very entry level, but if it wasn't for CE courses and the things that the a, the ADHA provide and the AADH provide and all of these other companies that provide these CEs, this is what catapults us to our next level. This is what brings us to being the best we can in our profession. And those are, that's, that it's important to have multiple avenues to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, being that you've been someone that's moved from state to state, going to continuing education events, whether it be locally or regionally, is probably a way that you've created a little bit of a network once you've moved to a new location, I would imagine. 100%. Um, in fact, when I moved to California, first thing I did, because when I lived in Maryland, our small component, I lived in Southern Maryland, very small component, didn't really meet much. I was moving to a big city again. Um, I was... I. In fact, I'm the, the vice president of professional development for the component here in San Diego. So I also do that. Um, so I fully am trying to immerse myself in the networking. And, and I, I mean, doing so has, again, you know, it, it was, you know, it was one of those things that, um, you know, my mentor, uh, Joy Void Holmes, Dr. Joy really pushed was to network, put yourself out there. And it that's going to make your career, your professional career so much better. And, and I cannot thank her enough for, for pushing me to do that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, what advice would you say you have for hygienists that are thinking about moving from one state to another, or that are licensed in one state, or maybe getting educated in one state and thinking about after graduation, I'm going to move to another state. What advice do you have? I mean, you've had a lot of experience in this. What do you wish you knew 10, 15 years ago when you started this journey? First and foremost, if you are considering moving, know what is required 
Go to that state, you know, dental examiner, dental board site, and find out what is required of you to become licensed. Because if you graduate, like, you know, and California is fresh in my mind. So let's put it this. So when, if you graduate, you have to be licensed and, and for five years, if you have only been actively licensed for four and you try to move to California, you don't have those five years. They're going to make you sit for a board exam again because it's older than one year. Um, so know what those states require. So like if you are, I've had a student reach out to be from Maryland and she's like, should I take my board here and take my board in California? And I'm like, take, you know, see if California will accept that board first, but know that there are requirements that you have to take once you get here too, before you can actively like, you know, for California, most other states that I've lived in, Florida, Tennessee, Maryland, and I can only speak for them because that's what I know, right? Um, you didn't have to be licensed in local anesthesia or nitrous oxide or in Tennessee, you can do some prevented, uh, some uh, prescription. Um, you don't have to be licensed to do that. Those are additives to your license, right? So in Maryland, I had a, another license for local anesthesia and another license for nitrous oxide, California requires you to take that class before you even send in your application. Okay. So so does that mean if you're from a state, like say, for example, you moved from Texas where you wouldn't have had maybe local anesthesia training, you would need to take it in order to even gain licensure period in California? Even if you took a local anesthesia class in 2020 and moved in 2021. Oh. You have to take California. Oh, you have to take their specific one. Their specific. And it's $5,000. Yikes. So that's, I, you know, these are things that I didn't know, you know. Um, and every, you know, and like I said, in, I, I was licensed in Maryland in 2012 and I didn't have to be locally anesthesia certified. But when I started working in a perio office as a temp, he really wanted me to. So I went and took the class because... Of course I'm going to do it. Um, and then when we moved to California, I had to retake it. Even if you graduate like from a school in another state, when you move to California, that's a requirement. But I feel like there are, you know, I've heard that Washington has like, you know, you can have a limited license where you can do like your basic dental hygiene, but then you have to full license, you have to take the restorative class. So every state has their difference. Yeah, there's so much variation between even just what I know that there's some states where just licensure is part where when you receive a license, you are also able to provide local anesthetic. And in some cases, like in the state I live in, you have to get a separate certification for nitrous and a separate certification for local anesthetic. In some cases, you have to get separate certifications for working in public health or expanded functions or affiliated practice or all these different um, ways in which we practice and the scope in which we're able to practice. So there is so much variance. And I think that also makes licensure portability a little bit more complicated. But hopefully with the inception of the licensure compact, that will help eliminate a lot of the very challenging hurdles that sometimes come up when people move from one state to another. Or for those, you know, for example, when you were living in Maryland, where you might live in one state and practice in two others. Right, because people in Maryland sometimes have not only a Virginia license, but they also have a license for DC. Yeah. Where I, where I worked in Maryland, I mean, it was, 
you know, 20 minutes, you were right over in Virginia. You know, some states allow you to have a teaching license, you know, whereas like you don't, as long as you have an active license somewhere, they'll allow you to teach, you know, but that's not, you know, not always the case in, in, in every state. So, you know, it, it's like in, in this perfect world, we would have this standardized, like, scope of practice across all states, right? And then you just do your additives. I mean, that's that's like the perfect world. Um, I think this compact is going to really provide that opportunity. And and I know that with the, uh, with the compact, you're still going to have to take your jurisprudence test. You're still going to have to pay your fees. We're still going to have, we're still going to have the state's that are going to, you know, put their their heels in and not want to be part of that. But yeah, I mean even when you look at you look at the nursing compact, which is the longest standing one, there's 39 states that are part of the nursing compact. So not every state's going to do it, but the more states that do it, the more beneficial it becomes not only for their own state because they can bring in workforce from other states, but it really just helps grow and eliminate some of those barriers across the country. Yes, it really it really will. Moving here to California, it took, moved here in October because of class for the local anesthesia. And that's the other thing. If I would have not looked into that previously, if I would have waited till I moved here to look for that class, I wouldn't have been able to take the next one in San Diego until July of 2021. I mean, 22. So that would have set me back not just four months, but almost seven months, eight months to get my license. So that's why it's so important that like, if you have a little bit of an idea that you could be moving somewhere, know what is required because it might be that you, you know, you have to apply for something very quickly. And, and, and usually you need to have a address before you can apply and things like that. So, well, this has all been really great advice. Any other, uh, pieces of information or anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up today? No, I, I mean, I thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity to, to talk about it. It is something that I talk about a lot because no one quite understands, um, moving is not easy sometimes. And, you know, we have to remember, my husband calls me an investment because, you know, we, you know, we could be here for only one, a year and a half. And, you know, I invested a lot of money to become a hygienist here, but we have the potential to lose a lot of really great professionals, you know, professional oral health providers because of the fact that there's just too many hoops. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I know um, another military spouse that actually went to school. She was the year below me in in dental hygiene school at Marquette, and her husband has moved around quite a bit. And when they did a stint in California, she just opted to not get her license. They she knew they were only going to be there for two years, and she's just like, I just can't. She I, she was in the same situation as you in one of your moves where. She had just had a child and just said, I, I can't do this right now and I'm going to have to take a break. And that's unfortunate because, you know, you lose that person that's part of the workforce. You lose that, you know, hopefully you don't lose them forever. Um, and in her case, she moved eventually to um, Iowa, Nebraska, right on the border, actually. And she's she's licensed in both states now. But but she experienced this the very same thing where she just said, I, I'm not going to go through that process. I'm not going to sit for a board. I'm not going to get a license and moved. We definitely thought about that. 
<laughs> and I've definitely thought about that since, yeah. since, you know, you know, <laughs> at, he's, he's getting higher in rank and the higher yeah. in rank he becomes, the more possibility we have to move. So my, my thought process was, I'm not going to get a license here. I'm, I'll work for Arm and Hammer. I'll see what else happens. Yeah. But what if I moved to a state that required me, like Maryland, to have 150 hours over the last active practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm here for two years, that's two of those five years that I'm not, like, so mm-hmm. I, you know, in Maryland, I was teaching. What if they don't accept those? Te- I had to look at the risks. Yeah. And I know I know that there's a large possibility we're going to move again. And, and I just love this profession too much to just <laughs> let it go. <laughs> like, well, I, and I think, you know, if there's anything that our listeners should take away, I think the message is really clear, which is, you know, do your research and know what you need to do. Because to your point... Had you made the decision to move to California and not get licensed and then move to another state, you'd have to figure out how am I going to get that active practice back or you just go through this whole cycle again. So you you might think, well, the easy answer is, well, I just don't get a license there. But then you move to the next state and then you run into an issue in the next state too when you're trying to get licensed by credentials. So I think it's a great message. I think just know what your future might look like and do the research on the front end and figure out what it is you might need. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking some time to share your journey with everybody. And, um, you know, thanks for reaching out both back when we were talking about clinical licensure exams. And, you know, I I, I connected with you because you had commented, I think, on one of the posts I had posted or somebody had commented or I got tagged in about the Interstate Licensure Compact. And, you know, you mentioned that you're a military spouse. And so I thought it would be interesting to, for people to hear the experiences that dental hygienists have, because I, I don't think everybody goes through that. I've I've been licensed in one state and I've never moved out of the state. And so I haven't experienced that. But I know there's people that live on border states and practice in multiple states and keep them up and have to keep up the CE requirements or people that move, whether you're a military spouse or just, you know, life happens and you move and you go through that challenging time, too. Yeah, we didn't even get into the fact of the CE requirements. You know, I have to focus on which state, one state requires these, another state requires these. So, I mean, one state requires 30, one 25, and and by the end of it, I have like 75. So, (laughs) yeah, well, that's the great thing about the compact is it it requires you to keep up with the CE requirements in whatever your Mm -hmm. primary state of licensure is. Right. So wherever you keep that license, um, whether in your case, Tennessee, Maryland, Florida, California, if one of those states is part of the licensure compact and you move to another state, you only have to maintain the CE around that one home state or primary state of licensure. So that also eliminates additional fees and complications that might arise. So um, hopefully that will help streamline things a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I think it definitely will. So yeah. let's let's keep fighting the good fight, right? Yeah, we'll keep moving. <laughs> so thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And thank you. It was great to have Melissa on and let her share a little bit about her journey and some of the challenges that she's had as a clinician, as a military spouse that's moved to a handful of states and has gone through the licensure process in many, many ways. So thank you to Melissa for joining us and sharing with us your story. And hopefully for many of you that into the future will be thinking about moving or maybe a military spouse or 
just thinking about making a change, license portability will hopefully be getting a little bit easier for you with the passage of the Interstate Licensure Compact for Dentists and Dental Hygienists that ADHA really has been at the heart of in working in collaboration with the American Dental Association, with regulators, with the Council on State Government, to ensure that there's a much less cumbersome way for licenses to be portable from one state to the next. So again, stay tuned. It's coming soon. I'm very, very excited to have been a part of this work, and I'm very excited that soon there will be an opportunity for states to begin passing this very, very important legislation. A couple of things before we wrap up. You may have heard Melissa talk about the fact that she is a California dental hygienist, and some people might be thinking, well, I didn't know that California had a state constituent for ADHA. And in fact, they don't. However, ADHA membership is still available to dental hygienists in California. We have many, many members from the state of California that are doing amazing things, including Nicole Ortega, who was on our podcast not too long ago when we were highlighting some of the work that Colgate's doing. But I would encourage those of you in California to think about being a member of ADHA. And if not a member, another great opportunity that's available specifically for hygienists in California is a CE Smart subscription. So as you might know, California requires 25 plus CE credits every two years. You can use ADHA CE Smart subscription to not only track those CE credits, but we talked a little bit with Melissa about tracking those CE credits in all the different states and making sure you have the certificates if you need them. If you ever go through an audit, CE Smart has a built-in CE tracker for you to be able to track and monitor and house all of the courses that you have taken. This CE Smart platform is available to all ADHA members at no cost. And for California dental hygienists, it's available for $150 a year, which includes unlimited access to the free and discounted CE courses that are part of the platform. So definitely check that out. I will put the link in the show notes so that you can access that. And all dental hygienists, members or not, you should check out the CE Smart platform. You have access to really high quality CE from an organization like ADHA that you can trust. These are courses led and facilitated by experts on a variety of different topics. The course list is continuing to grow, and these are available on demand with a huge number of content that's already out there. So please check out the CE Smart platform. Use the CE Tracker. It's a great resource, a great tool for you as ADHA members and available for non-members and those of you in California as well. So again, I would encourage you to check that out and check out the ADHA website for more information about upcoming webinars and other educational opportunities that are available. It's the last episode of 2022. Can you believe it? We are wrapping up the year. It's the end of December. We are heading into a busy time of the year, holidays, a variety of different holidays that I know many of you celebrate. And for those that don't, We wish you a happy new year and hope that you have a safe and prosperous 2023. I look forward to seeing you back in January. We have some great episodes upcoming, some really amazing things in store, some really cool guests. So we look forward to seeing you in 2023. And until next time, continue to think outside the box, be comfortable with being uncomfortable, and continue to imagine what the future of dental hygiene can look like. 
As always, thanks for listening to the official ADHA podcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app and tune in every other Tuesday to learn and engage with the industry's best and brightest.